turn in God's word then to the book of 2 John. The book of 2 John. We'll be reading this short letter of John to the church in its entirety this evening. 2 John. It is indeed but one chapter. This delineated as 13 verses in our scriptures. The second letter of John. Let us hear then God's truth, God's breathed out word to us. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son. In truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Let's fire the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this word that you have given. And we thank you for the warnings that you give for the warnings that we are to listen to your word, that we are to seek out the truths in your word so that we know what your word is, that your light may be in us, and that your love may shine through those around us. And Lord, be with Pastor Bob as he preaches this word. Be with him that he may have discernment, that he may teach your truths, that they may resonate in our hearts. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the Belgic Confession, 
the article that we have just read a few moments ago is given the heading, The Sufficiency of the Holy Scriptures to be the only rule of faith. We have talked much over the course of the past weeks that on Sunday night that we've been dealing with the Belgic Confession about the truth of Scripture. Article 2 was about the means by which God makes himself known to us. Article 3 was about the written word of God, its inspiration. Article 4 was about the canonical books, those books that, that we deem to be those that are incorporated in that which we call the word of God. Article 5 was about how the Holy Scriptures come to us as authoritative because they are the very word of God. Article 6 defined for us the difference between those books that we refer to as canonical and those books that we refer to as apocryphal. Each of those articles had something to do with the historical situation out of which the Bray wrote the Belgic Confession. But of all of those articles, there was probably none that pinpoints the need and necessity of clearly expressing that which we believe about the Bible as this seventh article, the sufficiency of the scriptures. That has always been the struggle of the church. Oh, it's not that the church struggles, it's that there are always struggles that come upon the church. There are always threats that come to the church. Threats from the outside, threats that grow from the inside that would seek to tell us the Bible is not enough. You need more than the Bible. The scriptures are not sufficient. It was true in the day in which John wrote this letter of 2 John. It was true in the day of Debray and the Reformation. It is true today as well. But first of all, let's go back and define the term. So that'll be our first point, a defined term. Secondly, a necessary term. But then thirdly, to conclude with how beautiful a term it is to say that the scriptures are sufficient in themselves. Defined, necessary, beautiful. If you look at 2 John, you're not going to find the word sufficient there. What we find here is the use of the word the truth. The truth. Six times. John alludes to it in, the, in these opening verses. If we were to add the word command or commandments, okay, that, that given the context of 2 John, he, he, it's the same thing. It's, it's, it's like the, the writer of Psalm 119 will often use different words to talk about the word of God. Commandments, statutes, oracles. All of these things, all of these terms are referencing the Word of God. 
John here refers to it as the truth. The truth. We need to understand, first of all, that when you and I speak and talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, we're talking about the truthfulness of those Scriptures. That first. Secondly, we have to understand the correlation that is taking place in all of Scripture. In order for us to understand Scripture, we have to interpret it through Scripture. And sometimes, perhaps one of the best principles to use when you come across a, different, a difficult text, and for example, we're looking at 2 John. How best is it to understand the word truth? Well, who's the author here? Well, the human author is the Apostle John. So one of the principles of coming to understand how, how do we come to know what is meant by the word truth is we go, first of all, to other passages that John has written. That's always your first connection. What else did John say about the truth? Where else does that come up? So turn with me back, keep your finger here at 2 John, to another book that John wrote, John chapter 14. As you see, he's using the word truth. The question is, what does John mean when he says the truth, the commandments? You heard me say it refers to Scripture. The question is, how did you make that connection? How do we know that John, when he uses the word truth, means the word of God? Well, John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? See, he, he's, he's talking about truth. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. Truth. That where I am, you may be also. Truth. And you know the way to where I am going. Another truth. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. So when John says here in 2 John, whom I love in truth, all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as he commanded us. What is he talking about? Well, if we go back to John chapter 14, John is saying, that is Christ. Truth is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now go back to John chapter 1. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Skip over to verse 14. 
and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This is He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. Who is that talking about? Who is the Word become flesh? That's Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the Word that has become flesh. John 14, I am the truth. Well, if Jesus is the Word that has become flesh, then the Word is also true. 2 John the truth, the truth, the truth. The truth is Jesus Christ. But you can't separate Jesus Christ from the word of Christ, from the truth, from Scripture. It's not like that this is some independent book compiled by authors. Oh, that are all inspired by God, that are, that are also... Uh, authoritative, infallible, and so on. But, it, but it's somehow something independent from God himself. In Psalm, I believe, 137 it is, God says, I exalt above all things my name and my word. Meaning there is no distinction. God is so uniquely tied to the word that Christ is identified as the word become flesh. He is identified as the truth that becomes flesh. The word is truth. And the truth is able to accomplish all that that truth is designed to accomplish. Is there anything that Christ would desire to do that Christ cannot do? The answer to that is, of course not. Of course he can accomplish all that he desires to do. All that he has, all that he desires his word to do, it accomplishes. So, if you're trying to fill in the outline, it would go something like this. We're on point B, and it's the meaning. Truth is Christ. Truth is the word. The word, or scripture, or the Bible, is then truth. That's what John is saying. It gives me great joy to see, dear elect lady, which references the church, that some of your children, referencing the members, are walking in truth, in Christ, in the Word, in the Scriptures. It gives him joy to see that this is the way in which they are living. Now the point of this that John is making as well is that that truth you see is complete. The word that the, that the Belgic uses is the word sufficient. 
think of, think of in our day and age, we probably wouldn't use that term. We would probably say the completeness of the Holy Scriptures. But the, the word sufficiency means a filling. Means it is able to fill that which is missing. It's able to do that which is needed, that which is necessary. It's never lacking. It is always full. Now what we're confessing about the scriptures and what John is alluding to here in 2 John is the fact that scripture answers all that we need to know for salvation and godliness. Does it answer every question in the book? In other words, if I look through scripture, Will I come to the definition of pie? You go, I don't know. The answer is no. Because scripture isn't here to give us the answer to pie. 3.14, yada, 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 yada. That, that's not its purpose. That's not its point. That's not what Scripture is sufficient to do. That is not the completeness of Scripture. We do not come to the Bible and say, the Bible answers every single solitary question you can ask it. Okay, Bible, how much does the largest rock weigh around the new fire pit to the south of the parking lot? Well, if I, I'm sure if I search the Scriptures, uh, it'll answer me that question. No, it won't. That's not its point. That's not its purpose. See, far too often we, we, we misuse Scripture by asking questions of Scripture that Scripture is not designed to ask the question of. That's where we get into trouble. That's where cults come from. When you read into Scripture something that it is not designed to answer. Or that when it comes to the issues of salvation, life, worship, we say, well, we don't think Scripture gave us all the answers. So we've got to come up with a supplement. Probably some of you take supplements, right? Okay, It's because you're not getting what you need by your normal intake. So because normally you're not getting all the iron you need, you have to supplement your iron with an additional pill. That's what some people do with the question of salvation. Oh, the Bible. Oh, I'm just not getting enough out of the Bible. Bible's not answering it for me enough. I have to have a supplement. I have to find some other document. I have to find some other person. I have to find some other experience to supplement that which the Bible gives to me, because this just isn't enough. Well, the Bible doesn't tell me everything I need to know about how to live a godly life. I think what I need is some sort of vision. I need some sort of experience in order that I might know how I'm to live. Whether I should have a blood transfusion or Well, the Bible's so old, 
It's so archaic. It certainly doesn't speak to modern times. I think what I should do is rather than addressing questions about worship to the Bible, I think I should see what George Barna says. And what does George Barna's latest poll tell me about how I should be worshiping here in this 21st century? And I'll make my decision based upon because this is not sufficient to answer questions about worship in the 21st century. Now what you and I are saying, what the Apostle John is saying to the church, is scripture is enough. It is the truth. It gives you all you need to answer the questions. How am I saved? How am I to live a Christ-like life? How am I to glorify God? How am I to worship God? Scripture is complete. Scripture is sufficient. Not just adequate. Sufficient. It gives me more than the dose of iron I need daily. Now I know there's probably medical circumstances, but but I think you'll get the gist of it. Most people probably wouldn't need supplements if they were eating the right stuff in the first place. If we all ate as we should eat, we probably would not need dietary supplements. We wouldn't need to take a pill for fiber. But because we don't eat, that which we should be eating, we seek to supplement with other things. Because we're not in this. We're not in this. We're not looking to this. And because we're not regularly in this, the truth, the word, we're looking elsewhere. Now, notice when we come to this passage how necessary it is to have this understanding. As John is approaching this book, writing this letter to the church, in the time and day and age in which he is writing, the threat that John is facing, that the church is facing, it's why only some of the children are walking in the truth. It's why only some of the members are living the way that God desires them to live is because a very destructive heresy has already crept in and made advances on the church, saying this is not enough. That the testimony of the apostles is not enough. It was a heresy called Gnosticism. Gnosis is the, the Greek word, it goes back to the idea of knowledge. It has the, the carries with it the idea of special knowledge. And, and what happened was there were those who said, well, the apostles, they're giving you this truth, but I have special knowledge from the Lord. In addition to that which is the truth. In addition to the word. I've received special information. 
I've received special commands. I've received special revelations that is saying salvation really isn't the way that the apostles have taught. Most of the apostles, by the time 2 John is written, have already died. They're not there to defend it. So we're on to the second generation. It's almost as if John is perhaps by this stage, although we don't know for sure, perhaps by this stage is one of the last living apostles. And it's falling upon his shoulders now through the inspiration of God to set down in the scriptures that which is true. And saying as this threat comes, as this invasion, invasive species threatens the freshness and the newness of the church, that it is thwarted. And so John begins in his defense here about talking about the old commands. You've heard about it. Not giving you anything new. See, there's a play of words going on there. See, because all these Gnostic teachers, these false teachers, they're some of the same guys who were invading the churches of Galatia that we dealt with in the book of Galatians. But, but it's kind of expanded even beyond that now. It's, it's gone beyond the Jewishness now to this special revelation type thing. And, and they're advocating that, that salvation, you see, really isn't found in Christ. Christ only makes it possible. There, there are other things, there are other steps beyond Christ. In other words, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he lied. There was more to come. He just didn't say it. That's the threat to the church. That's why John is saying, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the teaching of the apostles, the teaching of Scripture, if they don't come with the Scriptures, do not receive them into your house. Don't buy their books. Don't read it. That's of no use. That's of no profit. Don't even give him a greeting. Remember this morning? See, see hear what he's saying. Don't give him a greeting. What would have been the greeting? Okay, somebody had to listen this morning. What would have been the greeting? Shalom. Shalom meaning... Everything's okay between you and us. But you're a false teacher. It's not okay. Because you're not telling the truth. You're not speaking the truth. I cannot say shalom. Do not even greet him. See, don't even follow the normal custom. Go beyond that. Don't receive him into your house. That form of hospitality in their day and age meant agreement. You bring him into your house means you're agreeing. That's why Paul would, the, the people who housed Paul would often get dragged out of their house and beaten because the, the Jewish people were upset that this person was, was allowing Paul into their home. In other words, they were agreeing with Paul's teaching about Christ. Don't let him into your house. Don't give him a greeting. For whoever greets him, just get that. Whoever says shalom to him, whoever greets him, whoever just does that, 
takes part in his wicked works. John is telling us and reminding us that because of the truth and because the truth is sufficient, because the truth is complete, we need to take a very hard, fast, determined, convicted position against all who would bring any other gospel, any other message other than that which we find in the Word of God. That's the threat that Debray and the Reformation faced in those 1540s. He's writing this document, this Belgic Confession, in the same sense that John is writing 2 John to stand firm for the truth. Debray and the Reformed churches are saying, this is what we believe about Scripture. Scripture is sufficient in and of itself. Now let me take you back several sermons. Remember, there is the context of two sides that, that Debray and the Reformed Church is facing. On the one side, you have church tradition. Church tradition that finds its focus in the Roman Catholic Church that is saying church tradition and church practice is of greater value than Scripture. If church tradition and church decrees and church consuls make a decision that is in opposition to the Word of God, church tradition, creeds, and consuls rule. See, it's not that Roman Catholics don't understand that some of the stuff they do is not in the Bible. They understand that. The point is, it doesn't matter. Say, why doesn't it matter that it's not in the Bible? Because they've added to it. They've said, this is not sufficient for salvation. Oh, no, 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 there's more things. You see, there's there's this whole repository of merits that you have to have in order to get into heaven. If you don't have the repository of merits, you're not going to get into heaven. Worship? Oh, no, you, we, we can't follow that which is in the Bible. We have to listen to that which the church traditions and popes and consuls have told us about the way it is to worship. We have to add to that which is here. Debray is saying, no, Scripture is enough. But on the other hand, as I told you a few weeks ago, you got these other folks there in, in Munster, Germany, who are, who are completely the opposite way. They're throwing out tradition as well as the Scriptures. They're not just adding to, they're taking away. They're saying, you might as well close this, because the only thing that's going to direct us is whatever revelations we receive from God. So when God sends us a revelation, that's how we're going to live. But what about if supposedly that revelation is in contradiction to God's word? Like taking another man's wife. 
you would think that'd be a fairly obvious one, right? Okay? Oh, no, I got a new revelation. I can have that man's wife. That's allowable now. But the Bible, no, that doesn't matter. I got a new revelation. See, it's in the context of that church tradition and these new revelation folks that Debray is saying, who are we? We are people who believe that the word of God is sufficient. It's complete. We don't need to add to, we don't need to subtract from. That's why the Reformed Church was saying, we cannot be a part of the Roman Catholic Church because we cannot welcome or greet them. That's why we cannot be a part of that which is happening there in Munster, Germany. We cannot welcome them. We cannot greet them. We cannot say we are a part of them. We are a separate, distinct body of Christ who believes in the complete sufficiency of the Word of God. It answers everything I need to know about salvation, about how to live my Christian life, and about how to worship God. It's all here. So you noted, perhaps, and we get a little tongue-tied as I did the outline, okay? Some things. Let me, let me just explain what's going on. When our confession places custom beneath Scripture, this simply means that those who argue, well, we've always believed X, Y, and Z, so why change now? cannot justify doing so when these customs conflict with God's written word. Bad habits might be hard to break, but they're still bad habits nonetheless. One place where the difference between Protestants and Catholics regarding custom can be easily seen is in the following quote from Cardinal Newman's essay, Development of Christian Doctrine. When Newman spells out how pagan customs supposedly can be taken over and sanctified by the church, writes Newman, temples, incense, lamps, candles, votive offerings, holy water, holy days and seasons, processions, blessings of the field, sacerdotal vestments, the tuncture, turning to the east, images, all of pagan origin, and sanctified by adoption into the church. Pagan customs cannot be sanctified by the church because these things conflict with what God forbids us in his word. The church has no power to sanctify things that God condemns. Neither can someone circumvent the authority of Scripture by appealing to the great majority, i.e., majority rules. In a democracy such as ours, especially given our love of public opinion polls, it is commonplace for people to determine their core beliefs based upon the view held by the majority. If opinion polls demonstrate that most people think good people go to heaven, and the vast majority of polls show they do, then Americans willingly embrace universal salvation 
and regard anyone who rejects such a view as narrow-minded fundamentalists, even though the Bible clearly teaches that all have become, that all who do not trust in Jesus Christ will perish eternally. Nor by the succession of persons. The Bray and the Roman and the Reformed churches were taking direct aim at the Pope, who is supposedly the successor of the apostles. No. Only the Word of God. See, and that's still the threat. The threat today that's facing the church is the denial of the Word of God. From Genesis to Revelation. That's why the fight over creation is indeed a worthy battle because it does indeed set the tone. Did God say? If he didn't, then you might as well throw the rest of the thing away. If he lied in the beginning, he's going to lie in the rest. But the word is truth. And the truth is the word. And the word is Christ. It's the denial of the word. It's the changing of the word. It's those, those little nuances. Well, let's, let's change the pronouns that reference God. After all, the culture isn't quite ready or it has moved past this ideal idea of male pronouns for God. So, so we'll just kind of gender neutralize the Bible. Taking away the whole importance of the fact that Adam was the first man and that Christ is the second Adam come as another covenant head. Covenant head of grace. It's letting the, the culture reshape our worship to fit its ideals, its goals, rather than letting the Word of God shape our worship. See, the, the, what John was facing when he wrote 2 John is really no different than what we face today. What the Bray was facing is still no different. It's what we face today. It's a war on truth. After all, when Satan came to Adam and Eve, he didn't say, look around you, did God really make? The question the devil poses is, did God really say? Did he really speak truth when he told you not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Or was he hiding something from you? Is there more? Is there something in addition to the truth that God gave you? And we see where that got us. So just as much as John needed to stand up and under inspiration of God give us that second book with all of its warnings. Just as Debray and the Reformed churches of, of that era needed to stand up and to sound the trumpet, so too the church of today needs to continue to stand for the truth of God's word. The failure to do so will be the death of the church.
That's when a church dies. When it no longer holds to the truth. Not when its pews are empty. When it no longer holds to the truth. A church dies. Now let me, in closing, state four beautiful reasons that this term, the sufficiency and completeness of Scripture, is so beautiful. One, what a blessing it is, what a beautiful thing it is to have truth in a completed form. Nothing needs to be added. Nothing needs to be taken away. I'm sure a few of you in this room have experienced the following problem. You're making a nice dinner, perhaps for guests. You got a beautiful cut of meat and you want to do something very nice with it. So with your device, you look up a, a recipe. And you find one. You page through a number of pages and you find a beautiful recipe and you think, oh, this looks good. This, this, is, I, I, this, this is a wonderful recipe. So you pull it out. And you start working on the recipe and you're, you're kind of looking at the clock, realizing you're a little bit under the gun and that, that this, this, the, yeah, you got enough time, but you don't have much to spare. And you're in the midst of, of looking at your phone, following the recipe, and suddenly... The phone goes blank. You're frantically, what happened? Did I run out of battery? I thought there was plenty of battery. Did I lose internet? Did I lose my Wi-Fi connection? What's on? And you're pressing buttons and you're pressing buttons and you're frantic. Where do I find the rest of the recipe? One of your kids comes in, mom, something wrong? And you go ballistic at them. Of course there's something wrong. I can't find the complete recipe. Now think about that in a number of situations in which we live and deal with information in our world. But when it comes to your and my salvation, we have the completed. What a beautiful thing. God left nothing out of your salvation or mine. It's all here. Everything we need to know is in his word. It's all here. Secondly, <coughs> excuse me. It's a beautiful term because to have truth in such a confused world, for those of you who stayed this morning, I, I was going to use a different example, but I think Marcus's example of that restroom sign says it all, doesn't it? We live in a confused world. We live in a constant state of a world that is constantly asking Pilate's question. What is truth? For you and I. It's not a confused world. All that we need for salvation, 
for our Christian life, for worship, is right here. This is it. Everything. While the rest of the world tries to find its gender identity and has to put up special signs these days, well, people struggle with this and that. Not that the struggle isn't real, but the answer is all that I need has been given to me. Third, it's beautiful to have that truth in the midst of a struggling life, personally. We all know the struggles of life. We all know and deal with struggles with our health, perhaps with family, perhaps with finances, business, careers. And we all deal with sin. That which I need to live my Christian life, that which you need to live your Christian life, is here. It's here. This is the question. Those are the questions, you see. God's word is sufficient for. Does it answer every question? No, because it's not designed to answer every question. It's not its purpose. But it is designed to help me to struggle with sin. This is where it's found. blessing that is. I don't have to wait some secondary experience. I don't have to hope God someday sends some angel. He's already given it to me. Lastly, it's a beautiful term to have an, an unchanging form. Remember when the last year that I was teaching, I had already quit coaching basketball at the time. And uh, I remember talking uh, with uh, the new guy who was, who was now coaching uh, the team. And he, he, he just came in one day, he said, Bob, he said, I don't know. I don't know if I recognize this game anymore. And I said, why? What, what are they doing? Well, they want to set the score back after every quarter. So you're going to play four quarters, but the score gets set back at every one. Yeah. He said, I don't think I'm playing the game anymore. They want to change the rules and allow the girls to, to move forward and to not shoot a free throw from 15 feet anymore. He said, I don't recognize the game anymore. My guess is, is that if there were some who used to play football 75, 50 years ago or basketball or baseball were to come back and see the game today, they'd probably shake their heads and say, I don't recognize this anymore. They call it by that name, but boy, it isn't that. We live in a changing world and a changing society. Not just confused, but changing. Some of the changes are good. Some of the changes are beneficial. Some of the changes are helpful. But life is changing so quickly. But God's word, the truth, 
never changes. God never adds to it, and God never subtracts from it. Thanks be to God for the Word become flesh, for the truth of Christ, for a complete, sufficient Scripture. And God's people said, Father, thank you for your word. It is indeed a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we say with the psalmist, thy wondrous testimonies, Lord. For Lord, they are wonderful and beautiful. Thank you for truth. And for the blessing of a church, of a denomination, of a faith that stands for the truth of God's word always. In Christ's name we say, Amen.